When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Lewis Lott for Boxing Social in association with Empire Fight Store and William Hill. Delighted today to be joined with Dan Rayfield. I mean, you was lucky enough to be there. I weren't lucky. I, was, I had to watch it through the TV, but I mean, incredible. There's no one I'd rather speak to after the Saturday night after watching Terence Crawford defeat Errol Spence, stopping him in the eighth round. Um, I mean, how are we feeling after that? How are you? How was Vegas? How was the whole experience? Yeah, stopped him in the ninth round, but it was oh, a tremendous... What can you say? I mean, it was a Hall of Fame caliber performance. It was the kind of performance where if there's any dispute or doubt about who is the number one fighter pound for pound, uh, I think he put his stamp on that 100% that it is, in fact, Terrence Crawford is the best boxer in the world at this moment. And, you know, he lived up to everything he said he would do. I don't even think Terrence Crawford thought it would be that, quote unquote, easy. I mean, he made the point after the fight that yeah it looked easy but that you know we don't get to see all the hard work that goes in leading up to the fight so you know i take him uh you know i know exactly what he means but from our point of view a fan a media somebody watching just on pay-per-view whatever he made it look easy i mean he just completely uh took errol spence apart everything that errol does well he took away from him and crawford just looked absolutely fantastic and i've had uh, and i i have more of this opinion also but people that have been around a lot longer than me whose opinions i respect a lot say things like the, that version of Terrence Crawford would give a good test or win against anybody you could think of. And they talked about people like Sugar Ray Leonard and Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao. And, you know, you pick a great welterweight and, and Crawford's in that he's in the, he's in the, he's in the, he's in the, he's in the conversation. Like he may not win all those matchups fantasy wise, but uh, he certainly would be competitive and win some of them. So he proved himself to me anyway, that he is uh, he's the real deal. I mean, I've always known he's a real deal, but he finally got the opportunity to show it against an, a, a similar A-level opponent, and uh, and he, he did the job. And in, in terms of every fight you've covered, um, been covered so many fights. Where does that performance from Terence Crawford rank on a singular <clears throat> sort of performance from one fighter? Well, I mean, it's definitely up there. I mean, in terms of the, I was thinking about the types of fights where there's a lot of anticipation going in, where people think it's going to be a highly competitive, you know, very good fight, or where there's a fight where there's an underdog and, and the underdog may win and do so not just eke it out, but win in pretty emphatic fashion. And so I've, I've been thinking, I've been asked this also since the fight, a couple, a few fights that come to my mind where, you know, you get like sort of the virtuoso performance, the, uh, as we call it, the toward the force yeah. Bernard Hopkins against Felix Trinidad. Trinidad was the favorite and Bernard just completely took him apart and knocked him out. Bernard Hopkins did a similar thing to Kelly Pavlik when he was the underdog, although that went the route. Uh, in a light heavyweight, 170-pound uh, fight. Uh, one, of, one of my most memorable performances at a, at a big level, uh, unfortunately, Trinidad was the victim once again, was when he boxed at Winky Wright. Oh, yeah. He went there and just shredded him for 12 rounds. Um, this is a fight that I wrote a lot about but was not in attendance because uh, I did not go overseas for the fight. But when uh, our American super middleweight champion, Jeff Lacey, traveled to the UK and took on in a unification fight, Joe Calzaghe, and Joe was an underdog in his own home, you know, home area. 
And uh, he basically ended Jeff Lacey's career that night in many ways by just completely dominating and beating up on him and winning, you know, a one-sided decision that was as, as outstanding as you can get. So uh, there's those types of fights. And of course, one I always think about is uh, Manny Pacquiao as a big underdog against Oscar De La Hoya. Manny was moving up two weight divisions. And a lot of people, when that fight was made, thought this is a death match that Manny Pacquiao was going to get. He's going to die in the ring. There were literally people that were concerned for Manny Pacquiao's health, including people in the Filipino government. And Manny Pacquiao went in there and not only beat up and hammered and destroyed Oscar, he sent him into retirement. So it was on that level of those type of historic performances, what Terrence Crawford did to Errol Spence. And it might be the best of all of them because of what was at stake. All those matchups I just mentioned to you, they were not matchups that were between two undefeated fighters for the undisputed title, uh, you know, at that, you know, in the four belt time. I mean, it was just a remarkable performance. What can you say? Definitely. And I think the special <clears throat> thing on when you rank these types of performances, in, <clears throat> would you consider it sort of a legacy type performance? Because in a way, Crawford almost sort of matched Spence at his own game in terms of, I think I've got a stat here, he sort of landed 42% of his overall jabs, which is a, a big weapon in, in Errol Spence's arsenal and the body shots as well. So when you think of performances like that from Crawford, almost nullifying what Spence does well, he done Crawford done that even better than him, which makes it even better, would you say? Yeah, 100%. I mean, he, he took away Errol's best weapon, which is the jab. It's one thing to be able to take away your opponent's best weapon, whatever it may be. But to be able to turn that aspect of their game into your best attribute in in the fight, turn it completely the other way, exactly what he did. So Crawford, you know, he's always had a good jab, but it's never been like the headline. It's never been the, the big thing he's been known for. But he not only took away Errol's greatest weapon, but he turned his into a devastating weapon. He spoke about it at the news conference after the fight, where he talked about how when they train, he basically used what he called the flick jab. Yeah. But because he knows the the power and the accuracy and how steady uh, Errol Spence's jab was, they made the decision in their training camp to practice and work on their jab uh, to deliver it with more power. And that's what he did. There was no such thing as a flick jab in that fight. Errol Spence delivered his jab with with very good power. It was a power jab. It was, you know, I made the joke. I was I, I felt like I'm watching the welterweight version of Larry Holmes, not uh, not the Terrence Crawford, again, who we've seen with with a nice jab that fit nicely into his overall uh, arsenal. But he made this like one of his most significant weapons in this fight. And he was knocking Errol Spence back with the jab. You know, it doesn't count on the, in the stat sheet as a power shot, but it came out like a power shot. I mean, you mentioned his stats uh, for the jab. I believe he landed 50% of his overall punches. Yeah, which yeah, it was sixty percent of the six. He's now it was I got it's fifty percent of total and sixty yeah. percent of power punches as well. So Listen, yeah, when you and again I've said this a thousand times. I don't I don't live and die by the copy box, but it yeah, serves yeah. as a tremendous guide to a boxing match, to a fighter's career, to their you know how the how the uh, what kind of uh, trajectory they're on. Let's say when it comes to their punching, I don't care if you're fighting a complete scrub or you're fighting a elite fighter like Errol Spence. If you land 50% of your punches overall, you're almost always going to win the fight. That's a high, high number. I've seen lots of fights at this top level. A guy might land in the 40%. It is extremely rare where a fighter at that of that caliber is landing 50% of their punches. That that That's like a recipe for disaster yeah. for the opponent. Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. And did you? And another thing, did you think that? Did you see the effectiveness of Crawford coming out in Southport? I know we know how good of a situator he is, but initially, step ten in the in the Southport stance. Um, how effective did you think that was in the, for, for the fight? Well, it was very effective. Terence is one of those guys who, for many years, was just listed as a right-hander, but he would switch up all the time and box large portions of his fights as a lefty. So he'd come out and box right-handed for you know a first round or two, and then suddenly he changes, and you'd see him box that way the rest of the fight. So I think most people expected against against Spence that you know he would be a southpaw for large stretches. If I'm not mistaken, he came out as a southpaw pretty much in the opening yeah. bell, yeah. and I really remember him seeing him switch up that much during the fight. So that's another uh, tremendous aspect of Terence Crawford's game is that. It's hard enough to deal with him in general, but he is very capable of being a dominating fighter, whether he's fighting in a left-handed stance or in a right-handed stance. So I, I'm assuming that, you know, you have to assume that Errol Spence, you know that, you know, him and his team knew what Crawford's uh, abilities were with each hand. So I'm sure that they spent part of their camp, you know, training for uh, a right-hander as well as a left-hander. But, you know, he, he just, he was able to fight as a southpaw basically the entire fight and not have any problems. In other words, it, it, you know, you don't fix what's not broken. If you come out and you're having success as a lefty, there's no reason to start switching up when you're dominating. Definitely. And you was you was obviously there on Sat on Saturday night, and not just there, but for the whole week as a whole. When you see fights like this, where two fights come together, the best of their sport, how special do you think the whole event was as production? You know, everyone's sort of talking about how great uh, Crawford was, but it takes two to tango. So the whole event in itself, how special do you think that was? Um, oh, listen, it was terrific. Era? It was it was outstanding. I mean, look, it, I think when the when the year is over, the biggest fight of the year from a overall viewership and pay per view and 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 uh, revenue, including the gate, it will be the the fight that took place in April between Gervonta Davis and Ryan Garcia, and that was a huge event, also at the T-Mobile Arena. Uh, but for my money, and I was at that fight also, but for my money, this fight between Errol Spence and Terence Crawford is the most significant fight of the year. It probably won't reach the levels of, of uh, revenue and 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 uh, overall business in terms of the commercial aspect as the other fight. But from a historical perspective and the meaning to the sport and the implications in terms of the championships and of pound for pound and those types of things, this was the biggest fight of the year. And I don't see anything on the schedule that comes close to it in that level. I mean, yes, we've got lots of top-notch guys who are going to fight between now and the end of the year. you got Canelo Alvarez coming up in a big fight against Charlo. Uh, there's going to be other fights we'll see. Hopefully, you know, we got Anthony Joshua coming back. You know, hopefully uh, we'll see some other big heavyweight fights before the end of the year uh, and, and plenty of other good good matchups that will take place. But nothing's going to achieve this type of level. And so when you have that kind of a fight, you know, I was happy to be out there and, and see like other media that doesn't often come to the fights there, like the New York Times covered the fight. That's obviously, uh, you know, from the in the United States, that's the most important publication that there is. So that that gave me a, a good feeling, um, and uh, when that when the best fight the best at that level, it's going to get attention. We'll see how the pay per view numbers did. I assume it's going to do well, uh, but like I said, I don't think it's going to reach the level of a Tank and a Ryan fight. But that doesn't mean it's a, not a success. Uh, and look, you have to give a lot of credit to the fighters because Errol Spence was not letting this fight go. He said to me and others over the last couple yeah. of years that he would feel incomplete if he left the welterweight division without having this matchup with his natural rival. Terrence Crawford for the undisputed title. Uh, obviously, it takes two to tango. So even though it took a while and Crawford was was tough during the negotiation and he had certain things he wanted and, you know, he was not going to make the match unless he had certain things the way uh, that he was comfortable with. But eventually, uh, he's a competitor also, and I know how much he wanted this fight. He got it, and they did the business. I thought they conduct themselves with class, uh, with pride. And in the end, 
uh, you know, Crawford was the better guy. And I have to, I have to tip, you know, he did a great job Crawford, but, uh, and I wrote a column about this. That's on my newsletter. Uh, I've been doing this for a long time and I don't know if I've ever seen a fighter lose a fight in this kind of level of a matchup that showed such character and such class in the way he took the defeat. I mean, I'm sure it's hurting him inside real bad. He didn't want to say it on it, you know, to the, when we was asked about it, but uh, these are not losses. You just wake up the next morning and go about your business. Um, but Errol Spence is a man's man. He, he, he acted like, uh, 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 with so much, with so much class and so much humility. Uh, how do you not love the guy? Definitely. One thing in the post-fight press from Terence Crawford, he was talking about the the disrespect he received from the media, him saying that people saying he was too small, etc. How did you react and what are your sort of thoughts on them comments from him when he was saying that and talking to him about proving people wrong? I'm not, I'm not really sure where he's coming from for that because a lot of people had him number one pound for pound going into this fight or certainly in the top, you know, three or four. I mean, for myself, I mean, I've always respected Crawford's abilities. You could watch him and knew he was a, tell, you know, a terrific fighter. But one thing that, that I, I would take issue with Crawford on is, you know, he would get upset when people would say he didn't, he didn't not, I'm not talking about lightweight or junior welterweight, but as since he became a welterweight, you know, he didn't have a great resume. It wasn't his fault. So That's never one time that I ever believed that Terrence Crawford wasn't willing or interested to fight the best guys. It just because the way that the promotional situation was tank was lined up. He was with top rank on ESPN and Ter and, uh, and Errol Spence was with PBC fighting either on Fox or Showtime. Fox is no longer involved, but they were for a time, a time at that moment. And he was not able to get the biggest fights. So, you know, Thurman was over there. He didn't fight, uh, Errol, but the other guys did Danny Garcia and, and Ugas and Lamont Peterson. And he, you know, he got the ability, Mikey Garcia, he got the chance to fight some of the bigger, better names. Whereas Crawford was over on the other network and top rank was struggling to find him opponents. So they had a, you know, ultimately they found him like the, the faded Amir Khan. He was able to fight Kel Brook, but way after Kel was kind of on the way out, you know, way after uh, uh, Errol had defeated him. So he just, he went through a group of, of challengers, that were okay, but nothing that was going to set the world on fire. So he got criticized for the lack of opposition, even though it wasn't his fault. So my, my way of looking at it is this, you can criti you can be critical and say he didn't fight anybody as a welterweight, but you could also say he's a great fighter. In other words, the two are not, you both can be true at the same time. So now he finally got the opportunity to fight the number one guy besides himself. And you saw what happened. So now that that no longer applies he has had the big fight against the big yeah. name and he didn't just win he won handily so going into the fight you know the i think the criticism of his opposition was warranted it wasn't directed towards him it was the circumstance that he just couldn't get that big name or a big name that was maybe still you know at a top level um but that did not change the fact that he was a tremendous fighter you could just know that watching what he did when he was in, in the lightweight division certainly when he was rolling through everybody and becoming undisputed in the junior welterweight division um but uh, I don't think we have to have that argument anymore. Terrence Crawford has stamped himself as uh, as a great fighter. There's no doubt. I've you know he would hang with any anybody in the welterweight division over time. And are we now living in the Terrence Crawford era? The first person to become two undisputed, two weight undisputed champion, vying for more. We'll get onto that in a bit. But are we living in the Terrence Crawford era now? That's a good question because it's not. I'm not sure how long it's going to last. I actually posed the question to Terrence. It was I believe the final question of the post fight news conference, which was. Okay, if Errol is going to opt for the rematch, you know, obviously you'll you'll have to deal with that. But once once that chapter of your career is closed, once the uh, the Errol Spence chapter is closed, whether there's a rematch or there's not a rematch, what other things do you want to do in your career? I mean, is it a, is it defending your title 
at 147. Obviously, he's going to have mandatories that are due. Uh, is it a matter of going maybe to junior middleweight and trying to get a fight there? Obviously, Charlo is the champion, undisputed, yeah. and he's got the fight coming up against Canelo Alvarez, so they can't make that fight right away. And I think even if they could, there's a good chance that maybe all the belts wouldn't be at stake, but there's still you know other fighters in that weight class. Do you maybe want to go to middleweight someday? In other words, what what's in your... Yeah, you know, on your lawn, have you been giving yourself a, a second to think about that? Because obviously, this fight with Spence was so dominant in his mind. And uh, Crawford's response was, "Look, I'm going to be 36 years old in two months, and I don't know. I got to sit down with my team and think about what I want to do in the future. I've been boxing since I'm seven years old. I've been doing sports since I'm seven years old, so it's a long time. And uh, well, I don't think he's going to like retire in his, you know, right away. You know, I think he thinks, okay, I've climbed this mountain, I've achieved this goal." Um, I've made history as the first uh, male to win the undisputed title in the four belt era. And I got to think about what else is there for me to do in terms of uh, what interests me and what's obviously the biggest thing financially. Uh, I mean, I suspect he'll be back in the ring when and, and against who it's hard to say other than the prospect of if Errol Spence actually does formally sign uh, and, and, and invoke his right to an immediate rematch. And it's, there's the, there's the off chance that maybe, He'll have the uh, think better of it and not do that. I suspect he will. And we'll see that fight probably uh, before the end of this year. And then after that, if Crawford wins again, which I think most people would make him the big favorite this time around, uh, then we'll have to wait and see. But I think that Terrence Crawford fighting uh, a quality fighter uh, like a Charlo at junior middleweight is a very attractive, interesting fight. And if you want to stay at welterweight, I mean, they may not be the mega fights, but Stanley Onis is an excellent contender. He's as mandatory in the WBA. Jerron Boots Ennis is his mandatory in the IBF, also a superb young fighter. So there'd be fights that would interest people. They just may not be on the same level of fighting Errol Spence. And by the way, a few fights he could have in the future are at that level. Exactly, because I was going to touch on that. Because I, I listened to the post fight presser and I, and I was going to talk about your question about sort of the motivation for, for, for Terence Crawford because Errol Spence was always that hill. So, I mean, are we, could we potentially look at a potential where if they have the rematch, is there? Could that be the end of Crawford? Could he sort of? Do you think it's 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 a it's a realistic prospect where he could sort of have this potential rematch with Spence and then just call it a day? I mean, you never say never. I mean, anything like that's possible. Obviously, from the Crawford point of view, though, I mean, as long as he has motivation, I don't know why he would call it a day. He's not even, you know, it's one thing when you get to that that level, you finally have the biggest fight. You know, guys are usually on the way; they're closer to the end. They're on the way out. You know, we've seen those types of fights happen where you, we wait, we wait, we wait, we finally get it. And it sort of spells, you know, the end of that guy at the top and they, you know, Peter out. But Terrence Crawford has never even come really close to losing a fight. Never been, uh, you know, officially knocked down, never been in my, my recollection, badly hurt in a fight. I mean, I've covered pretty much his whole career. I've covered numerous of his fights. I think that was like my 14th fight. I covered of his yeah. in person. Um, so I don't know why he would retire when he's finally now at a point where he can make his biggest money. Uh, as long again, as long as he's motivated to do it, I mean, he, I think he can have a few more good years for sure. Like I said, he's only, he's only 35, and in boxing today, that's not necessarily old. Um, he's always in good condition. Um, you know, he can certainly move up in weight, so he's not going to struggle at making 147. So I think, I mean, look, I don't usually take what guys say at the post-fight press conference yeah. as gospel. Like, I mean, I feel like they say it because they believe it at that moment, but they're also in the in the emotional vortex, if you will, of moments after a fight so you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt so i think once crawford you know unwinds and decompresses a little bit debriefs if you will after what occurred saturday you know i'm sure he'll do some interviews and and when he when he finally gets a quiet moment maybe takes a little vacation 
or just relaxes at home with his wife and kids uh, and starts to think a little bit about it. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure he's going to fight again. And, uh, and it's just gonna be a matter of who and when, and obviously uh, the immediate question of what he does next is not in his hands because he has to wait to see if Errol Spence formally uh, invokes his contract right to the immediate rematch. And, uh, and, and in the mean, you know, before that happens, I would suspect that over these next days and, and uh, you know, a couple of weeks that Errol Spence is going to have to do some soul searching. Also, does he really want to have that rematch? Does he want to really take another ass kicking like that? I mean, that's a question that he and his family are going to have to talk about. Okay. Well, we'll get on to Spence in a minute, but one thing I wanted to say was when Terence Crawford was dropping out with Spence, he was pointing over to his stable mate, Jamel Charlo, who you mentioned earlier, saying, you know, you're next. I want you next. I know Charlo has bigger fish to sort of worry about at the moment. He's got um, he's got Canelo and potential Tim Zhu when he comes back down. Um, but do you think that there's already sort of the narrative already played there? Stable mate, he was calling him out after beating Spence for a, for, a, for a big fight when the time's ready. Look, even before the fight between Charlo and Canelo was finalized, mm-hmm. you know, Crawford had 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 mentioned his name as somebody he'd be interested to fight. Yes, there is that aspect that if he were to fight Charlo, it's another one of the Derek James fighters uh, to see if he can go two and zero against them. It would be for obviously the undisputed title. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty big deal um, if he can do that fight. I mean, I think that'd be a tremendous fight. I mean, I would like to see that actually. Um, I would be a lot more interested in watching Terence Crawford go to one fifty four and challenge Charlo uh, than I would be to see him fight a rematch against Errol Spence, which I feel like. Uh, you know, you kind of know their outcome already. And even if it's a slightly different fight, what's the, is there going to be that much public interest in seeing a rematch after what occurred? You know, especially if it's at 154, which is what Errol would like it at. The way their contract works is the loser of the fight had the right to invoke an immediate rematch, but the winner of the fight has the right, uh, this is according to the two fighters, has the right to set the weight either at welterweight or junior middleweight. So if Terrence, Terrence Crawford was open to the junior middleweight aspect of it when he spoke at the news conference, but if they were to do the rematch at 154, uh, there's no titles at stake. So it would have, from the general public's point of view, it's not a title fight, whatever. I mean, I don't care about that, but some people would view that as it's not as big of a deal if it's not for a world title. So, you know, they'll have to figure all that out. Do you think the weight played a big factor in terms of Errol Spence's performance? I mean, I don't see how you can say it didn't have something to do with it. But, you know, Errol, again, as I mentioned, how classy he was and how much character he showed in defeat. He was asked numerous times at the press conference about different things. Basically, he was given openings to take uh, a different route and make an alibi to make an excuse. He was asked, you know, your face started to swell up. Your eyes started to swell up early in the fight. You know, were you having trouble with your vision? Was that a problem? No, I didn't have any problem seeing out of my eye. Didn't take the bait on that. Errol, how did you feel when you came in the ring? Did you feel okay? Didn't take the beat. He could have said, you know, I had an upset stomach or this or that. Said, no, I felt cool. I'm good. Didn't take the bait. Asked about the weight. Said, look, I'm a grown man. I made the decision and the promise to make the weight. I made the weight. No excuses. Hats off to the champion. So Errol was given any number of, of outs, if you will, to make an excuse. And, and the questions were perfectly reasonable and legitimate from my media colleagues. But Errol just wasn't going to go there. So whether they were true or not, he just was not going to detract from what Crawford had done. He was not going to make himself look like a sore loser. I respect that from now till the day I die. Uh, it's very rare that you see that where even when guys are, are respectful and show class like that, there's usually some small little thing, you know, well, my hand hurt, but no excuses. Well, yeah, you just made an excuse. Yeah. Harold didn't say anything like that. So I believe he had trouble making in the weight. 
I said so in the days, in a couple of days prior to the fight, when I talked to him on uh, Thursday after the press conference, it was my, and I, and I spoke to him and Crawford within a few minutes of each other. It was my impression that he was definitely struggling at the weight. I even said it on one of our preview shows that we do on uh, the Bet US gambling uh, show that I co-host, that the weight was definitely, he looked a little slower. He walked with a different gait. You could tell he was struggling with the weight, but guys usually can bounce back from that with the, you know, the, the period of time between uh, when they do that and when they have the official weigh in. Um, but so, yeah, I do think the weight hurt him, but I, I can't tell you it's the reason he lost the fight to make a long story short. And a lot of people on social media come out and say that they thought the fight should have been stopped here. Derek James taking sort of things in his own hands. Do you think Derek James should have stopped the fight earlier? Uh, no, I was okay with the way the fight was stopped. I mean, Derek obviously has his best interest in heart. They've been together for a long time. I think that Derek and Errol have a, you know, so similar to like a father son or, you know, older brother, younger brother kind of relationship. Uh, I respect Derek James a lot. Uh, I, I have no problem with the way the fight was stopped. I felt like the referee, Harvey Dock, did a tremendous job. He stopped the fight when it should have been stopped. Definitely, that's fair enough. Um, another thing, and it comes out, it always comes out with when people sort of have losses or take bad losses. Stephen A. Smith coming out and saying, and, and then various other sort of media outlets coming out and saying that they think that Errol Spence should call it a day, should retire. How do you react to that? I've heard that a million times after these types of fights, and, and I'm not one to just sort of jump all over the narrative. Uh, is respect in respect to Stephen A. Smith. He's a he's a boxing fan. Stephen A. has been a friend of mine for years. We worked together at ESPN for a long time. I've been on his radio show, been on his TV show many times. I like Stephen A. Um, I would just respectfully disagree with his assessment. That's completely fair enough. Um, and another question I wanted to ask after we also, I mean, this week of boxing has been crazy in general. We see Naira Nui defeat Stephen Fulton, which was an incredible performance. And a, a question I wanted to have for you: In all the years that you've been covering boxing, have we ever seen? a more competitive spot for the pound for pound number one, where you see so many good fighters achieving so much legacy. I mean, we have definitely seen times where the top guys have fought in close proximity to each other. I don't know if we've seen it that I can think of anyway. And I was thinking about this. If we've seen them fight within literally like what, four days or five days of each other and the opponent that they fought was perceived as by far their most toughest opponent of their career yeah. so when you're talking about in a way and all the great things he had already achieved uh winning the titles in the various weight classes he had been champion in becoming undisputed at bantamweight i don't think anybody including in a way himself didn't think that stephen fulton as the undefeated unified champion at 122 pounds posed his biggest threat uh and it turned out that he shredded him and the same goes for terrence Crawford for all the top names and guys he's fought through the weight classes of becoming a champion in three divisions uh, I don't think anybody thought that Errol Spence wasn't by far his toughest test, even if he thought Crawford was going to win the fight. So for them to both take on pound for pound level opponents uh, who are both undefeated, who are both unified champions and not just win, but do it easily. Uh, I made a joke. It makes me not want to see Crawford versus in a way, you know what I mean? Yeah. Obviously not going to happen for the difference of the big, of the big weight disparity, but that, that's a good point. I mean, you have, you have a real, uh, a two-man race that said i do think that all respect in a way i don't think there's any way you can't have terrence crawford number one pound for pound because the errol spence uh mountain he had a climb in my mind was a much greater threat to him than anything fulton had for in a way you know i love the matchup between in and fulton but i i've i've and again i'm not disrespecting fulton but i don't think he was on the same level of as a fighter or in terms of accomplishment or the resume uh as there was for for errol going into the fight with crawford you know don't no doubt about it that's that fulton going in 
was the top 122 pounder out there. Yeah. But, you know, if you, if you just take a step back and look at the resume he had compared to what Errol had done over a longer period of time against a better quality of opponent, I feel like there's no doubt in my mind that Crawford is number one pound for pound. And frankly, if you're, if you're the, if you're one of the people that on Tuesday morning, when that fight ended between Fulton and Inouye, and you were saying, just make him number one. And they weren't even rethinking or remembering the fact that, you know, a few days later we're seeing Spence versus Crawford. And now you finally saw that fight and you're still going to keep in number one. I just think you're being stubborn. Yeah, absolutely. Another thing you broke this morning, which was exciting news for, I mean, fans over my side, uh, Agreed for a long time, we knew about it, but we finally got a date. Joshua Boazzi versus Dan Aziz, October the 21st in London. Um, a big fight, especially not just on the domestic level, but big implications for the world level. You know, look, and that's, that's a good matchup. I mean, they're, they're, they're two guys who, you know, I'm not sure if they're on the same level yet as the top light heavyweights. Are, are they, would you, would you favor either one of them against a guy like Dimitri Bivol or Arthur Better BF? Yeah. You know, probably not. But as far as, uh, as uh, as 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 my my good friends in in uh, the UK like to say, a good domestic dust up. Number one, yeah. <laughs> good matchup, undefeated guys, but also has stakes because the winner is going to become the WBA light heavyweight mandatory challenger and will represent the biggest win of either man's career. It seems to me. So I think that's an excellent matchup. I mean, I'm glad. I know that there was a lot of conversation that maybe was going to happen in August, that yeah. obviously for whatever reason was not uh, able to get done. So they'll go in, they'll fight in October. I think that's a great main event for one of these. Uh, uh, the boxer cards that they put on on Sky. And uh, I hope that we'll have that fight somewhere on one of our broadcasters here in the United States because I've been following Boazzi since the Olympics. Um, had a chance to meet him a couple of times over the years. And while I've never met Dan Aziz or interviewed him, I've watched a number of his fights. And he's he's the kind of guy to me anyway w that has sort of uh, come into his own a little bit more than he had. Like at one point, he was one of these guys where you're sort of like, well, yeah, maybe he's a prospect. Eh, maybe he's not. Yeah. But he's just kept winning. He's beaten some okay guys. He's gone overseas and fought in other countries, fought in France, I think, a couple of times. Um, you know, he's a good-looking contender himself. So I think that's an excellent fight. And the winner of that fight, you know, it's not going to just be handed this mandatory shot. A lot of times you see guys, they win an eliminator, yeah. but the opponent's really nothing to write home about. This is at least the type of eliminator where the guy that wins this fight is going to deserve the fight for a world title. So I think it's a really good fight. I was uh, well, I was very pleasantly surprised uh, that they had it down on the schedule. I was happy to break that. Uh, that news and uh, I hope we get a great fight definitely and as we just close this off if you want to give it uh, as always I'd like to give you a little plug for your newsletter your podcast I will link it in the description but what can we look forward to going forward well the podcast my my partner and I TJ Reeves we have a blast doing it we do it twice a week we do it Thursday it comes out Thursday night leading into the weekend and then we do it again uh, uh, on we'll tape it usually Sunday night coming out of the weekend to, to give all the results and whatever news is going on we have a little bit of nostalgia so we have a good time doing that uh, we had a good, we had a, cause my, we don't usually, we're not usually together oh, okay, uh, yeah. on zoom because I'm live here in, in Washington DC area. He lives in Florida, but we were both at the fight in uh, Vegas where we actually were able to meet in person for the first time <laughs> after doing our podcast together and our betting show together and working together on his uh, big fight weekend website for like a year and a half, but we never had met in person. So this time, not only we meet in person, we're able to do both of our podcasts, you know, in person. So we did it, you know, before the fight in the media center, did it after the fight up in my uh, hotel room, which we have some funny back and forth anyway. So that that's the podcast and that's available anywhere you get your podcast, Spotify and Google podcasts and uh, Apple and all that business. And then the newsletter people, I, I think people are coming around to it. They like it. I've heard lots of compliments and I appreciate it. The fight freaks unite uh, on Substack, danrayfield.substack.com. A lot of it's for free, but on a big week like Crawford and Spence, you know, I had no choice to be able to finance these events and, and, uh, and, uh, 
and be able to make a living. A lot of it goes does go behind the paywall. But I, I believe that if you if you subscribe to it, you're going to get your money's worth because I don't write like one story a week. You get a lot of material and uh, and and people have been supportive and I appreciate it. So it takes two seconds to sign up. DanRayfield.substack.com. You put your email address in. You get everything right to you or you can visit the website or you can set up a phone alert. Try to make it as easy as possible for you to read what I've got to say and what I've got to report. 100%. I'll definitely link that in the description. I'll definitely give it a recommendation. Um, Dan, thank you for your time. Always a pleasure. I know it's been busy for Vegas to you, so I appreciate you giving time to speak to me on Zoom. So, uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll be catching up soon. Always a pleasure, Lewis. Thank you so much. Sports Social Podcast Network.